Uh, welcome to ABF. Love is kind. Um, I'd like to start uh, with any prayer requests. If it's something you don't want to name out in public, that's fine. You can just say, pray for me. Uh, as usual, I you know, want to remind everyone that we'll pray for our church and uh, pray for the world that they will hear the gospel. Uh, pray that our church will be faithful in declaring it. Uh, any other prayer requests? Yeah, I've got one. Um, a couple that used to attend here that I'm still praying for. Um, the Corbemas. Um, she just had shoulder surgery and is recovering from the shoulder replacement, basically. Yeah. And since her husband's so sick, it's making it really hard for her to attend to his needs. Yeah, I can imagine. Any other, any other prayer requests? Thank you, Harry. Sad news, but uh, we know that we have hope beyond death. Any other prayer requests? We can pray for our pastor who's defending his dissertation on Tuesday. Yep. One is D-min, right? Not a PhD, as many might suspect. It's a D-min. Okay. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And as we pray along, if there was a request you didn't want to mention out loud, uh, certainly we know that God sees the heart and uh, knows what we need. Heavenly Father, we come to you as your children in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we know that as sinners, we have no right to ask for your favor, your blessing. But even in your kindness, you loved us when we were still sinners. You tell us to pray to you, to bring our requests that you want to take care of us, and we trust you that you are a kind and loving Father. We ask that you would hear the requests that were named here today and even the ones that weren't. We pray for the Cordima family and their medical concerns. Lord, I ask that you would ease their burdens, give them strength to care for one another and to be loving to one another even when they can't care for one another as they would like to. We pray for Helen Rogers' family. We thank you for her faithful witness and how you've uh, given so many people hope 
indeed a ministry named agape, after your love, after the, the love that only God can give his people. We ask that her family would be comforted and that even, even without Helen, that agape would continue to flourish and that you would uh, use this difficult time to accomplish your will. We pray for Pastor Mock and his defense of his dissertation. Let him speak boldly and lovingly and uh, let the committee that examines him give them ears to hear. Uh, We ask that he would be sharpened by the experience and that uh, he would ultimately be further enabled to, to teach and preach your truth. We thank you for his commitment to uh, academic excellence and to the truth that has brought him this far. Lord, we pray for the world. Uh, there is much suffering. We pray that even in suffering that the light of your gospel would go forth and that people would hear it. Uh, we pray that the kindness of your love would be evident in your people as we share the gospel. And finally, we pray for the church, uh, the church universal, that she would be strengthened in the truth, that we would uh, look longingly to the day that you return, and for our church here, that we would uh, continue to submit <clears throat> to your will, uh, even when it's difficult, and that you would uh, help us uh, to uh, maintain hope Uh, not just that you will care for the church, your bride, but that you are coming back and that we uh, will rejoice with you eternally. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, before we start the lesson, uh, I'd like to sing together. You should have two handouts. One of them says, all glory be to Christ at the top. So please stand with me. This is uh, to the tune of Auld Lang Syne, so you probably know it. Amen. Please be seated. I like that song quite a bit. Um, in this instance, uh, the theme of the lesson is kindness, and um, I can't think of a better example of kindness than God's love for his people. So um, let's get started in the lesson. Love is kind. So this is, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and... Can anyone, uh, this is the fourth lesson right here, Uh, can anyone give me a summary of why Paul is writing this specific message, chapter 13, to the Corinthians? Does anyone remember what was going on earlier in 
1 Corinthians that caused Paul to write this? Let me start with a question, cold, right off the bat. Well, <laughs> weren't they focused so much on the spiritual gifts like speaking in tongues that they were competing with each other and they weren't really loving each other? Right. They were well gifted. They had a lot. This was, you know, according to the gifts that were there, this was the church we would all want to go to. Um, the gifts were abundant. They were at work. Uh, I think an example a couple of weeks ago was uh, the modern-day equivalent would be you found the church that, you know, has a, speaks the truth in love. Uh, you know, the pastor is not, not only good, good at speaking the truth, but he's also witty. And uh, the songs are well-selected and reverent, but also uh, vibrant. Um, you know, the, the liturgy, you know, they can, somehow they speak about giving without sounding greedy. They serve the Lord's Supper and they're serving one another and everything's great. And then the service is over and nobody's nice to you. Uh, and so in my mind, this is the church in Corinthians that Paul, and I, I appreciate you offering that, Joseph, that they were well gifted. They were focusing on the gifts, but in a selfish and unloving way. Um, so with that uh, kind of backdrop, let's read 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, I'd like to read from verse 1 to all the way through verse, se verse 7. Actually, uh, I'll, read, I'll read the whole chapter. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver my body up to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Well, another question to get us going. We've talked about reformed stereotypes before. If someone asked you the question, what's the greatest thing about your church? What would you say? Um, or uh, what, what do you like about your church or something like that? Any, anyone want to offer an answer? What'd you say? Potluck, okay, that is good. Um, 
Any other thoughts on that? What makes, like you're inviting someone to your church, you're talking about church. What makes your church so good? Why should I go there? I always use the word reverent. Reverent, okay. Um, any heady reformed dogmatics out there that want to say, like maybe we use a lot of Calvin or man, the pastor delivers the doctrines of grace every Sunday. You'll always get you'll always get the doctrines of grace in our church or some other reformed kind of bell we can ring. Um, for some, it might be, oh, we use the old hymns or we use reverent hymns or we use, um, you know, we serve the Lord's Supper every Sunday, something I love about our church. But, um, but my, what I'm getting at is that in the reformed church, we tend to have some piece of doctrine or teaching or some specific thing, part of the, part of the liturgy that is like what makes our church different. Um, but um, I think we, and this isn't an accusation against us specifically, but we're being told that the greatest between faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. So, um, so the right answer is we have a very loving church who is gracious and generous and preaches the gospel wholeheartedly. Yeah, plus all that other stuff. Right. So, and none of those answers were wrong. Uh, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to bait you, but um, this studying this passage and hearing the other lessons has caused me to kind of uh, reorient uh, what what is the chief thing in my mind. Um, but um, and that's not to say we, we weren't, I, I know you all think love is important. I don't think anyone here is going, well, we don't need love. Of course we need love. Um, so now on the attributes of love, uh, love is kind. And that's, uh, that's the second attribute in verse four that we read. Last week we did long suffering. At the top of the outline, I gave you the ESV version. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. And I went dot, dot, dot after that. I wanted to contrast that with the King James version. Look at the words that are different. And that should make the words that are the same stand out. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. So it is uh, interesting to me that an older way of speaking uses a different word for love, a different word for patience, a different word for boasting, uh, a different way of saying arrogant. But the word kind is the same. Uh, and that just stood out to me that uh, some words, some words ch kind of change meaning over time. Uh, some of them maintain their meaning depending on how we use them. <coughs> the main point I'd like to make in this lesson is love is nothing without kindness. Um, the emphasis is that love, love is patient and kind. Love doesn't choose between, building, building on Harry's lesson last week, love doesn't choose between uh, being patient and, uh, that's right, I like that song. Uh, it's all good. Love doesn't choose between being patient and kind. Um, perfect love is both. Uh, that doesn't mean we don't sometimes make, find ourselves in a dilemma between being patient, kind, and all this other stuff. Um, so we're not there yet. But the main point I want to make is that love is not loving without kindness. Um, 
And I wanted to uh, do a compare and contrast thing on the board here. Um, getting into point one, is kindness the same as niceness or politeness? And I'd like to just, we'll have kind here, and we'll have nice and polite over here. And I'd like to, you know, get some thoughts on how these are the same and how they're different. Any brave souls take the first, <coughs> first stab? You could start by saying that nice and polite are surface, they address the way you're behaving, but kindness addresses an attitude of the heart. Good. So this is more of a nice and politeness or more of a behavior? And kindness is more of an attitude, it, it, maybe like an internal, external. A, kind, a, a benevolent predisposition to the person you're talking about, a desire for the other person's welfare. Okay. So write all that down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You made them laugh at me, Joe. Just kidding. Attitude, heart. Um, anything else? Any other thoughts on difference between... Politeness also depends on cultural. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that kind of goes back to the internal. Kindness is an in, is an internal state. It's expressed perhaps through niceness and politeness, and that could be different. Right, but it's acceptable in one culture, a, a greeting, etc. Yeah. It's not acceptable in other cultures. Context as well. Um, if you work in a place where everyone has to dress a certain way, it might be kind to let someone know if they're, hey man, you're not wearing it right. Everyone, like, that doesn't feel very polite. So I think there is a contrast here too. Um, sometimes niceness and politeness is um, sort of a sheen. The kind thing to do is to let someone know when there's a problem, but sometimes niceness and politeness prevent us from doing that. Um, because we don't want to be rude. And maybe that goes back into cultural. Any other thoughts? Well, yeah, you can take what you just said a tad further. The niceness, it's not nice to correct people. It's okay. It's not polite to correct people, but it is very kind and lovingness to correct people. Hmm. So kindness can, kindness can correct or confront, but politeness and niceness can't, can't correct can't confront. Yeah, I would say it still goes back to the heart. Your intentions are to help the person mm. not just abate their mistakes. You know? I mean, not just to, man, you did this terrible thing. It's, you shouldn't be doing this because it has these bad effects. So it's not godly. I would also say that the niceness and politeness, the the acceptability of niceness and politeness, if you would, will change over time. Versus, everyone didn't think that the Good Samaritan in the parable is nice or kind, nice or polite, but he was kind. Right. Okay. Yeah, I like the example. <clears throat> the good. So it, it doesn't. It doesn't kindness. I don't think that necessarily it changes over time, but. What is nice and polite changes as society changes. Right. Yeah, more of an external indicator. Uh, so 
all the passers-by did the polite thing or the socially acceptable, the passers-by, but the one who was truly loving was the one who showed kindness in the example of the Good Samaritan. I really like that. So this is, uh, we're actually very careful, like with Abigail and Josiah, um, like being kind. Uh, we rarely use the word be nice to other children. Right. Uh, partly, I mean, so if you look at the etymology of the word, uh, kindness comes from the idea of kinship. Uh, so if you look in Genesis, God created these animals according to their kind. Right. So kind has this idea of kin, kinship or family embedded into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if you think about that in terms of the body of Christ, uh, we're kind because we're of the same family, which is much different than being nice, which is a very right. superficial. There's no connection outside of these other things. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, even the way we use the expressions, you know, someone gets a new car or Hey man, that's nice. That's a nice car. You would never tell someone that their car was kind. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it is a it is an internal, emotional, word, uh, not a, not a, 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 like an external quality. Um, although it should, you know, the fruit of the spirit, which we'll get to later in the lesson. Yeah. Um, yeah. And with that, I think you can argue niceness and politeness. Not only is it surface level. It's selfish. Okay. You're not focused on the other person. You're more just being nice so they think well of you. I think it's often, it's about making myself look good and looking like um, being appropriate based on the culture I'm in. And you're not actually caring about the other person. Yeah, this, so this one is other-oriented and this one is self-oriented. So maybe an example is, I invite you to my home for dinner and you have nothing to wear. So the polite, the manners would say, oh, I don't know which fork to use. I don't, I've never been to his house before. I don't have anything to wear. So the manners, the external worries about yourself. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't go. But the kind thing to do would be to maybe accept the invitation and deal with all that other stuff later. Um, because I've, you know, I've invited you to my house for dinner. Um, or maybe there's a middle road there where the kind, the kind, Kindness allows us to communicate when something isn't, isn't going well. It allows us to go beyond politeness and manners and uh, social expectations. I, I really like all these examples. Um, so uh, I stole a quote uh, from a website here that kind of sums up what we're talking about. Beyond mere politeness, this is in point one on the outline. Beyond mere politeness, kindness involves acting for the good of others even when it does not benefit ourselves. Yeah. It occurs to me that nice and polite is very passive. You're okay. Just acting according to pre pre-established protocol. Mm-hmm. But kindness is very proactive mm-hmm. because you have to do things sometimes that Which that right? require you to take risks like during COVID or even lately when everybody is so uh, far flown. You have to. What I what I tell myself is just. Pick up the phone and call this person. If it's not a good time, she won't answer. But if it is, sure. you know, she might really appreciate it. Yeah. Ki- kindness can take risks. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, that, And we'll get to that uh, when we talk about vulnerability over here. Um, 
if, if other if other comparisons occur to you, feel free to continue adding to the list. Um, just for the sake of uh, time, we'll move on to point two. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Does anyone have that verse? If I get there first, I'll just read it. But if you get there first. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Yes, so Galatians chapter 5, fruit of the Spirit. Not only is kindness an attribute of love, but it's also a fruit of the Spirit. So there's kind of this equation forming that if you have God's love in you, kindness should be a fruit of that love. The attribute existing inside of you as part of God's love should be seen externally. Once again, uh, especially as the person who was assigned to teach this lesson, I know we fall short. Uh, so I'm not saying, th this, is, this is kind of the aspirational uh, utopian version of, you know, when we are glorified, all these fruits will be evident in all of us all the time. Right now we struggle to embrace love's attributes as God would have us and to ex express them properly and to have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Uh, and sometimes we find ourselves in this false dilemma where we have to think we have to choose between each one, but we don't. Um, that's what's awesome about God's love. So what is that? A, a little bit of is on the board already in our list. What does this passage tell us about kindness? And I just explained that a little bit. Why should Christians especially be kind? Uh, I think Ben gave us a great example. To one another, we should be kind because of that kinship in Christ, spiritual kinship that um, goes beyond, goes beyond uh, the surface level, goes beyond even the limits of this life. Um, Kindness is of the spirit and nice and polite is of the world. Yeah, there is that aspect. It doesn't mean you can't be nice and polite if you're of the spirit, but the motive is different. The, 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 if, if love is our chief aim, uh, then kindness is wrapped up in there uh, with it. And niceness and politeness is like a, it's just on a different plane. Kindness is on a higher plane, I think, than niceness and politeness. It's definitely godly because such things, there is no law against. Yeah. Kindness, right? Yep. So, uh, kindness, why should Christians be especially kind, um, not just to one another, but what about to, to non-believers? Well, um, I don't want to jump ahead to point three. I mean, that's Ephesians two, but uh, God is rich in mercy and kind to us. So if He is kind to us when we were dead in our sins, we should obviously be kind to non-believers. Like, if He's kind to us when we were sinners, yet we don't show kindness to unbelievers, that's not witnessing to the excellency of Christ. Amen. Um, yeah, I think as a witness to the world is. Is, the, is a good answer, um, along with the other gifts of the Spirit. And then the final part of point two, how is kindness oriented compared to other attributes of love? We already talked about uh, kindness is uh, other-oriented and God-oriented, uh, as are the other attributes of love. Um, other gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit are others-oriented. 
And then I left this third category, other Christian behaviors, which maybe aren't captured in attributes of love or gifts of the Spirit. But the Christian life, uh, although there is a lot of inward progress, our behaviors are other-oriented. Um, taking care of others, supporting others, praying for others, giving our time and our money to others. Um, none of these behaviors make sense without love. Why would we do any of that? Uh, why would you give your money away? The world would tell you the opposite. The world would tell you, no, keep your money. You're going to need that someday. Keep your time. Don't give them your time. You'll never get that back. Only 24 hours in a day. But the, the Christian worldview is oriented on others. Uh, and you can see that in these attributes of, loves, attributes of love and the gifts of the Spirit. But I think Joseph, bringing us on to point three, uh, what is the ultimate expression of kindness? Any, anyone want to jump in there? The ultimate expression was Christ's kindness and pain, the consequences of our sin instead of us. Amen. And we can see that in Ephesians 2, um, verses 1 through 10. I'll read those. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of this great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I know that's a big chunk of scripture that we could have another series of word-by-word lessons on, so I don't want to dwell on it too much, but uh, we're being given this package deal that is kind, and it's a different kind of, it's, it's a different level of kind than maybe, sometimes we use kind and nice or polite interchangeably, but this kindness is on a whole different level. Uh, moving on to Romans 2, does anyone have Romans 2 open? Romans 2 verses 1 through 5. Thank you. Okay. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourselves, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Sorry, just a moment. So, keying in on verse 4. Or do you need to read verse 4, I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. Or, or, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance of his patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you in repentance? 
And then closing out with verse 5. So how far was I supposed to read? Through verse 5. And I'll just, I got it here. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteousness will be, righteous judgment will be revealed. Um, so to presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience. Hmm. These attributes of love are just popping up uh, in all kinds of uh, passages. So now you can see why it was such a dilemma for Paul that the Corinthians were not acting in love. They had all these other gifts and they even knew the truth. Um, but, but without love, I'm nothing, as Paul said. Uh, knowing, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So uh, I've got a couple of other verses we could go into there, but without uh, belaboring the point, um, God's kindness is what leads us even to repentance. So um, in, in the polite and nice side of things, if you love me, I'll love you back. Or if you repent, then I will, then I will be kind to you. But for God and his people, he is first kind in even leading us to repentance. So even the repentance that, that we uh, proclaim is, uh, is not even of ourselves. It's God's kindness that even gets us there. I've got a quote from a Ligonier article called The Patience and Kindness of Love. It's on your outline. For love to be patient and kind means, among other things, that it seeks godly responses from the beloved, just as God's patience and kindness seek the godly response of repentance. One commentator notes that patience and kindness represent passive and active features of love, respectively. Patience enables us to restrain ourselves in the interest of the good of others. When we are patient, we hold back from showing wrath, even when wrath might be justified in the hopes that the beloved will see the error of his ways, and thus escape our fury. That love is patient, and that love does not respond in kind when others wrong us, does not seek, when others wrong us and does not seek revenge, knowing that perfect vengeance is, is the province of our Creator alone. Patient love will not hurry things along and insist that love have its effect immediately, but will look for the proper time to act. Matthew Henry comments that love will put up with many slights and neglects from the person it loves, and wait long to see the kindly effects of such patience on him. Kindness is a more active quality than patience. It actively seeks the good of the beloved and does what it can to bring that good about. Kindness should be distinguished from niceness because kindness does not shy away from speaking a word that might be seen as harsh if that word is necessary for correction. Indeed, to receive rebuke from a righteous person is a great kindness. And we have a reference to the Psalms there, 141. At the same time, a kind love is not unnecessarily harsh and seeks to convey hard truths with sweetness, in reference to Proverbs 16. In sum, kindness looks out for others ahead of oneself. For example, Ruth exercised kindness in pursuing Boaz for the sake of Naomi when she could have looked for a younger husband. Um, so, excellent, excellent explanation, excellent quote from that. Patience and kindness of love. And I encourage you to, depending on how much time we have in here, go track, track down those scripture references. But uh, to close out point three, 
Christ went to the cross for people who didn't love him. In fact, people who hated him. People who were children, children of their father, children of, children of their father, the devil, children of wrath. Um, so even understanding kindness, it's still, there's still this paradox of how uh, God's, God's love is so much greater that he can, he can love, he can do what's described here. He can love, he can play the long game where he can love without getting that immediate reward that we often need when we love, we want the immediate satisfaction of being loved back. And we often, uh, back to Ben's point about children, share, play nice, and we want this immediate, like, uh, even, even saying I'm sorry, which is good, uh, but sometimes that, those are surface-level corrections that, as we grow as believers, need to take deeper roots than just a, a quick I'm sorry. Um, the, the quote while I was preparing this, the the quote, uh, love means never having to say you're sorry, was kind of bouncing around in my head. And I don't know that I, don't know that I agree with that, but I think, I think the part of that that's helpful here is if you really love someone, the, the greatness of your love for someone is sometimes measured in how long you're willing to wait. Uh, you know, uh, a child who's gone their own way. Uh, the prodigal son, great example. The, the father was willing to the child, the, the, the son had squandered everything and the father was willing to let him do it all over again. The father was willing to go to great lengths and be very patient. And his uh, earthly goods meant nothing to him compared to his love for his son. So I think that is a good uh, summary of point three. Moving on to point four. Thinking about some Old Testament kindness. Was God kind in the Old Testament too? Or was he just mean? Uh, so that, that uh, quote about even harsh, harsh words are sometimes kind words. We shouldn't seek to be overly harsh. So when we think of God in the Old Testament, think of someone who was willing to do hard things in order to show his kindness and love. And if we go to Genesis chapter 3, you probably already guessed by now there's kindness in the Old Testament too. Genesis 3:15 Anybody there? Yeah. If you're if someone's there please go ahead and uh, read it. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So, um this is a prophetic promise of the Lord. Why is this kind? Any, any thoughts on why Genesis? Was putting a, a hatred between us and the devil. Okay. See, giving us hope. Giving us hope. Yes. Well, the piece was the consequences of what they did was death. Yes. Instead of death, though, they got this. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so great point, Steve and Keith, that they should have gotten death, but instead they get a promise for redemption. Um, and they were so eager for that promise. They, I mean, some scholars believe they thought it was going to be their son, their own, like their immediate offspring. So when one of, one of their sons killed the other, you can imagine the, the, the utter hopelessness and despair 
wait, these guys, the offspring was supposed to be the redeemer, and now one killed the other, so it can't be the dead one, and it can't be the one who killed the other one. Um, and then the story unfolds. I think there's some assurance in the promises that is kind in of itself, because the assurance given is not required for truth to exist, but the assurance of truth and the assurance of the promise of the future redemption yeah. is a component of the kindness and the purposefulness of being kind. It's not just, I want to be kind to to be to give credit to myself in any way like we established with. That's, that's some component of it. I think it's, it's an assurance to the person in the receipt of the act is you know, I'm, I'm with you for the long run. It's a commitment yeah. almost. If you're willing to be kind to someone, it's because you're somehow committed, which I think is loosely related to kinship. Great point. Great point. God, God's promises are not even kept by us. They're kept by him, and so we can trust them. He's so kind to us that he won't make it dependent on us. That would be unkind uh, because we couldn't make it. Um, and that long, that long love, that long game of redemption and uh, showing his own glory and loving us isn't dependent on us. It's, the promise itself is dependent on God himself. Looking at Genesis 18.32, Genesis chapter 18, verse 32. This is uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham, you know, Sodom is a wicked place. And uh, Abraham, God, God tells Abraham, Abraham that he's going to destroy it, and Abraham begins pleading with him, you know, and the numbers, it's this this sort of negotiation, you know, what about 50 righteous men? Will you spare it for 50? And the number keeps going down, and finally in verse 32, Abraham said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again on, again, but this once, because they've, they've gone back and forth a few times now. Suppose 10 are found there, he answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. So God's kindness is sometimes shown in his forbearance. Um, Not to say he's kind enough to let us continue in our sin, but he's kind enough not to give us the punishment we deserve when we deserve it. When we are the ones who are wronged, we want the other party to be punished swiftly, right? Uh, And then thinking of Nineveh, uh, Jonah chapter 3. Anyone have Jonah? If you get there before me, go ahead. Jonah chapter 3, verses uh, 6 through 10. You got it, Ben? Oh, no. Okay. Anybody? Well, you know, my, some of my book, I, I've got it here. Or Joseph, either. Is that, did I hear you speak up? I got it. Okay. For a different voice. <laughs> the, yeah, the, the word, the chapter, uh, verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and satin ashes, and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, 
But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way, and from the violence that is in his hands. And then verse 9 as well. Mm-hmm. 9 and 10. Who knows, God may turn and relent, and turn from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So, um, God's forbearance to the point of even sending Jonah to call them to repentance. Jonah didn't even want to do it because of some, like, ethnic stuff going on. Some, maybe that, maybe we could put Jonah's attitude, heart attitude on this kindness versus niceness scale. You know, the social convention of his day meant he shouldn't, he shouldn't have to show love and preach the gospel to Nineveh. But the Lord, they repented, and the Lord relented of the disaster. So even in the Old Testament, um, even sending even sending a messenger with the good news, and then bringing people to repentance, God shows His kindness in the Old Testament. Any other thoughts on these examples, or any other examples that come to mind on Old Testament God's kindness? We can move on to, do uh, something uh, there? So, two, uh, yeah, what's interesting is God does this both to his own people and then also to others, uh, often through his people. So mm-hmm. uh, you think, first off, of Israel's journey to the promised land. Uh, God was not only kind in delivering them from Egypt, uh, but providing for them on the way manna, uh, water, And then uh, I also recall Genesis uh, 39, where Egypt uh, was blessed because of Joseph. And so God's kindness extended to, uh, you know... Non-believers. Yeah, uh, because of Joseph. Um, And so uh, God's more common grace there, but um, but yeah, there's a lot. Right. I actually had to cut this point down quite a bit uh, because I kept finding more and more and more. Somehow, uh, all I can say is we need to study our Bibles because uh, we've allowed this thing to persist where God is like mean and tough and angry in the Old Testament. But then Jesus shows up and Paul writes about love. In fact, God's love and kindness have been there all along. Um, So I appreciate you bringing up Joseph. Potiphar's house, all of that. Everyone, everyone benefited from uh, God's kindness to, to Joseph. Um, point five, some application. Kindness makes Christian life bearable, livable, and even joyful. Um, and to see this, we'll go to First uh, Peter. Four, verse 8. And I'll just read it to you here. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And just to make sure we don't think this is just a new thing that's happening, let's go to Proverbs chapter 10. Love covers a multitude of sins. <clears throat> 
It's not a new idea. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Amen. Um, and then uh, just hit you with some John here too, some gospel. Let's see, John 15, verse 13. Got it right here. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. So we know that we can't do what Jesus did, but we can follow his example of love. Uh, we can put others before ourselves as, as we are empowered by the Spirit. Um, Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Kindness leads us to repentance. Um, I'd like the next verse to add on to that. Please do. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and of the word. So when we're doing the kindness... We have the potential to spread the gospel through. Yes, amen. Uh, even with our own families. Uh, and a point uh, we'll come to here in a moment. Um, 1 Peter 1, 22. 1 Peter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Into 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So our kindness as Christians, not only is it an attribute of love, but it's a fruit of the spirit and it should be evident in our lives in how we forgive one another, how we love our own families, how we uh, love our brothers and sisters in our spiritual family. Um, I know you guys all knew that, but it helps, it helps to say it out loud and prove it from scripture. Um, one thing that came up in men's Bible study is we were talking about how we came to the faith. And for a good number of us, it, it was uh, actually, I think, I don't think anybody had a, nobody said, uh, you know, I read the Bible and believed it. Nobody said, and that, that can happen. And nobody said, well, I, I heard uh, a John MacArthur sermon. The, the general theme was um, other Christians loving us often parents, but could be a spouse. Steve relate to us how he was not a believer until he met his wife, whose you know, church family began doing a kind thing, praying for him. Um, so even the way we treat our children, not just, to, not just to manage their behavior, but actually to give them the gospel, that's how I received the gospel, was through my parents. We disagree on a lot of uh, things beyond the gospel, um, but without their example as Christians and loving me, their child, uh, and sharing their faith with me. Um, so kindness isn't just to like make everything hunky-dory. It actually, nope, like we said in the beginning, nobody wants to go to a church that's unloving or unkind, even if everything else is just perfect. I haven't met that person yet anyway. Typically, a uh, good, good quote I heard, um, a lot of us, a lot of us think about, you know, 
sermon, the sermon, especially in our church, churches like ours, we think about the sermon, the delivery of the theology. Man, that was a great sermon. You really, you really knocked it out of the park. But I heard a, a recently graduated seminarian who had gone to a small church say the best advice he ever received as a pastor was that um, people who know you love them will tolerate a lot of mediocre sermons. Um, so it is all those other things. It is the liturgy. It is the orthodoxy. It is, you know, the reverence. But, but really the, the thing that makes the gospel attractive is God's kindness to us and our kindness to others. His kindness expressed through us to others. I wanted to talk about this now that we're on application. There's a really good book that I'm reading called Strong and Weak by Andy Crouch. And he does this chart here where on the vertical axis is authority and on the horizontal axis is vulnerability. So um, someone who's really strong, we think of someone who's strong as like impervious and uh, no weaknesses, right? We think of them as, um, you know, unassailable. But really the, the strongest person can actually have the highest vulnerability and the best example of that is Jesus Christ. Uh, he had all the power, yet he submitted himself and made himself vulnerable. Um, Crouch calls this category flourishing when you're both strong and strong in authority and high in vulnerability, it's flourishing. If you have a lot of authority, you're strong in authority, but low vulnerability, that's more like an authoritarian a parenting application would be like, you know, the only answer is because I said so. You know, there's this kind of, uh, don't, don't, don't question me. That actually represents kind of a, not to say you can't tell your children because I said so, but sometimes that represents a, uh, a lack of vulnerability. Moving down to the lower left, if you're low on vulnerability and you're uh, low in authority, maybe you're disengaged. Um, I don't have a lot of authority to do what I want to do, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna wall off so that no one can take advantage of my lack of authority. I don't, want, I, don't want, I don't want to be also vulnerable and powerless. And then coming over here, uh, high vulnerability and low in authority, this would be like, like Ruth, where she was utterly reliant on others uh, and Naomi, to use that example we had earlier. So. When you think of the application of kindness, kindness is sometimes perceived as weakness. One of the first things I remember from army training, don't take my kindness for weakness. But really, the, the person, the stronger party can absorb, just like God does for us. He is, he is so strong and so majestic that he can absorb, uh, his love can cover a multitude of sins. Um, he is able to be vulnerable in a way that, uh, that we are struggling to you know, we, we often retract. When we, when we sense vulnerability, we often retract from whatever that engagement is because we don't want to be vulnerable. Um, so at the end of this application, there's a story taken from uh, the, an article called The Power of Kindness. And uh, it, it, it gives an example about how kindness helps spread the gospel. Um, the short version is the, the, a man in the article was... Um, considering ending his life because of all these just kind of problems stacking up in his life, but uh, a Christian showed him kindness. Um, and we don't necessarily have time to read the whole thing, but if you want to look at it later, um, I encourage you to do that along with some of these other verses. 
Well, any final thoughts on love is kind before we close in prayer? Well, yeah. I would just like to say, um, actually, whenever I tell people about this church, the first thing I tell them is, I love this church because of how kind the people are to me. So, obviously, we all need to grow in kindness for each other and for the world. But for those of you who have been kind, keep being kind. Sometimes people don't say thank you. You know, sometimes people forget, but your kindness isn't wasted. Sure. And as Paul said in Galatians, um, if we do good, we will reap if we will not give up. Like God looks, God is pleased when we are good to others. So, and I just know from my life, people here have been very kind to me. So, continue to be kind. Amen. Yeah, never too late to start. If you weren't thinking about it before, it's never too late to think about it now. Do you have something, Steve? I did, but it's really challenging to speak, but I'm going to do it anyway. And then you all can throw rocks at me afterwards. I think the lesson is extraordinarily timing in light of what this church has gone through recently. And that we definitely need to know what love and kindness is to pursue what I hope is the rainbow after the storm comes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Paul told us this stuff for a reason. Uh, the church in Corinth wasn't the only church that struggled to use its gifts appropriately and struggled to uh, display God's love to one another and to the world in spite of the effects of sin. Um, but we thank God that he has been kind and patient and loving. Mac? Seeing all this in your discussion today, it's impressed upon me that you sacrificial Right. You can't have kindness without some kind of sacrifice if you will on our part, either our time, our talents, right. whatever it might be. That's the same as what God has done for us. It's what makes it more than a platitude. Uh, kindness, kindness willing to give of itself. And that last that last line in uh, point five, kind love is selfless and willing to serve others. It might cost you something. Um your time, your money, uh, your emotional investment. Um, well, I appreciate everybody's input. Um, I had to put a corporate prayer on the back of here, um, but the lesson, uh, we dug in and took a little bit more time than I had uh, accounted for, so we will continue to make time to pray together. Don't forget we've been doing the church-wide prayer ministry at 9 a.m. in the library uh, every Sunday. So, Joseph, would you be willing to close us in prayer? Yes. Dear Father, we thank you for your ever-loving kindness to us. And we pray, Lord, that we would seek to grow in kindness, using you as our example, Jesus, for you are always kind to us. We pray that we would grow in kindness towards one another and towards unbelievers we encounter at our jobs and our everyday life. And we pray that our kindness would be a good witness to your kindness and love, Jesus. Pray you bless our church as we prepare our hearts for worship this morning. And we pray you grow in kindness and love. In Jesus' name, amen.